Happy Easter, everyone. Today's scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The word of the Lord. Happy Easter, everyone. He is risen. My name is Eric Kapoor. I'm one of the pastors uh, here at Trinity, and it is a very unique Easter, isn't it, friends? In a E! News earlier this week, I had encouraged everyone to wear their Easter best, so maybe at the end of our service, we can take a poll and see how many are still in their PJs out there and how many uh, decided to put on their Easter best. Um, we've been looking together at the Lord's Prayer during the season of Lent. And today on Easter Sunday, we will be looking at the final petition and the conclusion to this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Now, if you're a Christian, chances are you've probably memorized this prayer, which is a great thing. But the question we've been asking phrase by phrase as we've looked at this prayer is, do you understand it? And more importantly, are you using it? Are you praying it genuinely? From the heart. Now, during this time that we were we're in right now with COVID and all that it's brought into our lives, I can think of no greater resource than praying this prayer. And I'm more and more convinced of that as we come here to the end. If you're out there this morning and you're watching um, and you're not a Christian, but you are considering Jesus, we are so glad that you are joining our service. The Lord's Prayer is a great place for you to start because it's a summary of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. There's really nothing secondary in this prayer. It gets right to the core and right to the heart. Today, we're going to be looking at lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the final petition in the Lord's Prayer. And I realize it's not a traditional Easter passage, but I think it's the perfect place for us to look together this Easter. This Easter, which is unlike any other we've ever experienced. This part of the Lord's Prayer for this Easter gives us a way of thinking about what is going on with us and in our world as we go through this crisis, through the language of temptation. And it tells us what we need to do, what we need to ask for to make it through all of this. Deliverance. Now, I hope to show you this, that this part of the Lord's Prayer is not just loosely connected to Easter or resurrection, but in fact, it requires Easter and resurrection. Because if Easter didn't happen, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, if it isn't true, then this prayer cannot be answered. We have no hope or reason to believe that it will be. And so I would say, I would not recommend that you pray it. We should not pray it. But if Easter did happen, if Jesus rose from the dead, if it is true, then we have all the reason, all the hope to pray this prayer and believe God will answer it. 
And if God will answer this prayer, we can have great hope that we will make it through whatever we are facing in this. We can know that we will be delivered from the thing that we fear and dread the most about all that is going on with us and in our world. Now, can I ask you, uh, I've done this before in some of the sermons and messages that I've given, can I ask you to pause right now? And if you have something to write with, if you're taking notes, maybe just in your mind, would you bring it to mind? Would you write it down? What is the thing that you fear and dread the most? With all that's happening in our lives and in our world, what's the thing that you're most afraid of, that you most dread? We'll come back to that. Well, how can we have great hope that no matter what we're facing, we'll make it through this? How does this prayer show us that we can have that kind of hope? Well, this is really uh, one petition with two parts. There's the negative part, lead us not into, and there's the positive part, deliver us. We're going to look at each one of those. As you'll see in the outline, if you're following along, we're going to look first at our great temptations and then at God's great deliverance. So first, our great temptations. To pray this prayer to find its power, first we need to talk about temptation. What is it? And then why would we ask God not to lead us into it? After we cover that, then I want to talk specifically about some of the great temptations we're facing with COVID-19 and all that it has brought into our lives and world. Temptation. What is it? We tend to use the word temptation in our culture uh, for kind of like sensual temptations, we, we kind of limit it to that. But the, the word is much broader than just sensual temptations. Temptation is, in itself, it's the first thing we need to know, not wrongdoing or sin. The Bible teaches that Jesus was tempted in every way that we are, yet he was without sin. So what is temptation? Temptation, then, is any circumstance or desire or occasion that would draw us away from, entice or allure us away from God and His will for us. So it could be almost anything. This part of the Lord's Prayer is probably, though, the most difficult and the most debated part of the prayer. As we pray, Jesus taught us, lead us not into temptation, we ask, why not pray that God would remove all temptation, right? And even more puzzling, we ask, does this mean that God would actually lead us into temptation? What does that mean? Kids, I've been having you draw something each time that I've given a message uh, during this time, and here's what I want you to draw on your kid's bulletin. I'd like you to draw uh, a road or a path, and somebody walking on this road or path. And along the road, maybe on either side of the road or down the road, I'd like you to draw different houses. So a path, a person walking, and different houses on that path. We'll come back to that picture later. Well, as far as some of these puzzling questions that we have about this prayer, the letter of James in the New Testament helps clear some of this up. In chapter 1, verse 13, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. He said, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So he's very clear, God does not tempt anyone. God is not the source of temptation. 
But earlier in this same letter, James has something else to say. In verse 2, he said, Consider it a great joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials, which is actually the same word he uses for temptation. Various trials. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And he says, let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So let's put this together. James is saying God never tempts us, but he allows and uses temptation or trials to test us. Why? Well, it's one of God's main ways that he shows us about ourselves, who we really are, and how he shows us about himself, who he really is. It's how, James says, he gives us a proven faith, a tested and genuine faith. Because an unproven faith, an untested faith, any belief that we have that is not tested is, is shallow, it's weak, it's fragile, and easily broken. So James says God tests us. He uses trials and temptations to actually make us mature and complete so that we would lack nothing. So then, temptation can be something that draws us away from God. Or temptation can be something that drives us to God. It depends on how we respond. This is the reason why Jesus didn't tell us to pray that God would remove all temptation from our lives. First of all, that's not possible in a world where there still is evil within us and evil outside of us. But also, as James shows us, that's not even desirable. Because without trials and testing, we wouldn't be able to have a mature faith. Jesus instead tells us to pray that we would not enter into temptation when it comes. Many scholars point out that the little word, the little preposition, into, is the key here. Temptation is not something we can avoid in this life, but it is something we can enter into or not. Later on in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is facing his uh, upcoming and impending crucifixion, he's, asked, he's asking his disciples to pray with him. And he says to them, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. So there is a great difference between being tempted and entering into temptation. Let me come back to the picture that I had the kids draw. We're meant here to think about temptation kind of like a house. And in the roads and the paths of life that God has for all of us, there are many houses along the way that we should not enter into. Houses of fear and pride and greed and envy and anger and all kinds of things. Now, God never leads us in. He never invites us or draws us into those houses. Instead, it's the, the enemies of our soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil that lure and entice us in. But we choose whether or not we'll enter in to these houses. In Matthew Four, we read that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. There we see Jesus was led into a time in the wilderness of testing, of temptation. But it was not God, but the devil who tempted him. Putting this all together, we can gain a clear understanding of what we're praying 
in this prayer. What did Jesus want us to pray when he told us to pray, lead us not into temptation? It means this. We're praying, let us not be led into or lead us out of and away from temptation. Do not let us enter into it when it comes. Question then, why would this be a part of the prayer that Jesus taught people to pray regularly? This core essential prayer that he gave to us to pray all of our lives as an essential part of following him. And the answer is, because no matter what is happening in our lives, no matter who we are, whether we've been Christians for a long time or we're new to Christianity, there always will be temptation to be drawn away from God, to be lured and enticed away. So we need to be aware and we need to be ready. I really liked how one author described it as I was studying this this week. He said, temptations are everywhere. They're on the right hand and they're on the left hand. And by this he meant, on the right hand, there are temptations when things are going well, when our lives are comfortable, when we have ease and wealth. There is a temptation to forget about God. But on the other hand, the left hand, he says, there are temptations when things are not going well, when we are suffering some type of affliction in poverty and in trials. We are tempted to think that God has forgotten about us. Now, all of a sudden, for most of us, we went from the right hand to the left hand almost overnight with COVID-19 coming into our world. We went from being tempted in comfort and ease to forgetting about God. Now, we're on the left hand. We're being tempted and wondering whether God has forgotten about us. Now, I'd like to consider what I see as our great temptations, some of our great temptations during this time of COVID-19 and all that it has brought into our lives. There are definitely others, but I see three at the top of this list. These are temptations that can draw us away from God, or there are temptations that actually can drive us to him, to find faith, or to find our faith strengthened and deepened. First, there is the temptation, I see a great temptation of control. We covered this last week, but I think it bears repeating. When things are out of control in our lives, one of our greatest temptations is to try to grab a hold and seek to control things all the more. Now, I'm not a professional mountain biker by any means. I enjoy mountain biking sometimes. But as I was learning how to mountain bike and handle, uh, especially when you're going down uh, trails that are steep and fast, you're tempted when you feel like you're out of control going so fast to grip the handlebars so tight so that you don't fall off. But I learned that is not the best thing that you can do. You have to loosen your grip and let go. For us during this time, it might look like this. The temptation to control could be our thoughts and our actions that go like this. We want to create a schedule, have structure, set up my workspace at home, make a to-do list, tackle projects that I've never been able to get to before. Keep up with the news, understand what's happening, come up with my own explanation of what's going on and when it all will end and how long it will be. Work on my financial plan, work on my future plans, become a champion homeschooler, become an amazing chef. 
and become the best at working from home all at once. Do you feel this? I do. It's a temptation of control. There's something good in this. We should be responsible. We need to be wise. We need to persevere in this time. But there is a great temptation in this as well that can draw us away from God. It's the temptation temptation to believe that we are or can be in control. That making it through this is up to us instead of letting go and trusting that God alone is in control, even when we don't understand. He is in and over this, and he can be trusted. Entering into the temptation to control is really, I think, what lies beneath so much of our anxiety, the anxiety that we're feeling, because being in control is too great a weight for us to bear. It makes us very anxious. It's also, I think, what's lying beneath a lot of our anger in this time when we're short with people because this anger is coming out of us when things around us and the people around us don't cooperate with us trying to be in control. The temptation of control is great. On the other side of this, there is a temptation of escape. That's the second one. When things are hard and out of our control, one of our great temptations is to escape, to check out. And one of the great blessings of technology is that we're able to do this. We can connect with one another, even during this time. But one of the great temptations of technology is that it gives us endless options for escape. We can scroll and scroll through social media. We have all the movies in the world available to us. All the TV shows we want to watch. YouTube, endless videos. there, right at our fingertips. We can escape into lust sexual temptation. We can escape into work and many forms of addiction, food, and alcohol. Anything we can escape into but facing this hard and huge reality that we can't make sense of. It's too much. I found from my own life personally that when when I'm escaping into a movie or watching a TV show, it does feel good not to have to think about everything that's going on. But I found that when you press the power button and the screen goes black, all of a sudden there's this great weight where we remember, wow, it's not a dream. We're still living in this time, and it's so hard. There's actually something good in this too, because there's the realization that what we are facing is too much for us. It's something that we can't handle or control. But there's something very wrong here too. It's the temptation to believe that we can escape. We can escape this reality that's too big for us. Now, we might be able to escape for the moment, but the reality is it's not going away. It's still there. And the temptation is to be drawn away from God instead of being drawn and driven into Him as a refuge, as a refuge who is safe no matter what. Now, if we admit we can't control, or if we realize we can't escape, there's actually another temptation, the third that I wanted to share. It's the temptation to despair. Now, some of you watching can readily identify with that word despair. It describes just the, the, the depth of the emotional pain you're feeling. But some of you might feel like, well, that's a little bit too strong of a word. And I think there's a spectrum and that we're all on it somewhere. 
and it changes for some of us, probably most of us, day to day. The spectrum is something like this. There's fear, we're fearful, we're, we're anxious. We can be panicked, we can be downcast, we can be depressed, or we can be in despair. Let me say that what we're all going through, if anything we've ever gone through, warrants all of these emotions, so we should expect them. There was a very sobering article by uh, David Brooks in the New York Times just this past week. And what he did as he was uh, processing all that's happening is he actually called on people to email him responses to the question, how are you really doing? And if you read some of these responses, it's very sobering. It's very heart-wrenching because people shared they are not doing well. They are struggling with fear, anxiety, panic, depression, and even despair. Have you felt these things? I feel like I myself have been along that spectrum these past few weeks. Did you know that the Apostle Paul, who is one of the strongest and most bold people of faith, who proclaimed the resurrection of Jesus as true, who built his entire life on the fact that it did indeed happen, the Apostle Paul, he tells us that sometimes he was tempted to and even fell into despair. He talks about this in his letter, uh, 2 Corinthians. In the very beginning, chapter 1, verse 8, he says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of the affliction that took place for us while we were in Asia. He says we were completely overwhelmed, beyond our strength, so that we despaired of even life itself. Friends, if the Apostle Paul one of the strongest and most bold and faithful Christians of all time can enter into the temptation to despair than any of us can. Despair and all the emotions on the spectrum with it can lead us away from God into doubt and cynicism, or they can lead us to God, into his comfort and into his promise when we are overwhelmed. I want to come back to Paul's story in a moment. But I want to ask this first. How is it, these three great temptations, and there are more, how is it that we cannot enter into these temptations when they are so great for us in this time? Control, escape, and despair. And instead of going into these places, instead be driven to God. And when we do enter in, how do we get out? This is where we need to see how this whole prayer holds together and this Friends, is where Easter comes in, which is my second point. Our temptations are great, but God's deliverance is greater. Part two of this prayer always wins over part one. What did Jesus tell us to pray to be delivered from? He says, we pray to be delivered from evil. Some translations say, deliver us from the evil one, meaning Satan or the devil. But I think after looking at it this week, I think the broadest definition is the one that's intended here for us. We are asking God to deliver us from all the evil within us and all the evil outside of us that can draw us away from God, including Satan, including the evil done to us, including all the results of evil, all that is broken in our lives and in this world, including suffering, disease, and death. The point of this prayer is 
that however strong the thing is that would entice us or that would draw us away from God, God's deliverance is greater. Now, how can we know and be drawn to God no matter what it is that we're facing, no matter how strong the thing is that is drawing us away from Him? Kids, here's where I want you to draw your second picture. I want you to draw a tug of war. Tug of war with with a rope pulled tight, two people on either end. So that is how temptation feels like. We're being drawn, enticed, lured, pulled in one direction. And yet here Jesus says, there's someone on the other end of the rope who's even stronger than whatever is pulling us away. How do we experience this deliverance? We have to come to the point where we pray, where we really pray, deliver us, deliver me from evil. The word deliver here is a very strong word. It's defined like this. Deliverance is, when we ask for it, it's asking for a rescue from a fate which one cannot control or escape on one's own. Deliverance is asking for rescue from a fate which one cannot control or escape on one's own. This is what makes a Christian a Christian. A Christian is someone who doesn't just ask God for help. A Christian is someone who asks God for deliverance. And whatever, friends, we are learning in all that we are going through, my Christian friends, and my friends here who are exploring Jesus and considering him, whatever else we are learning in this, Are we not learning the difference between asking for help and asking for deliverance? I think we all see right now we don't just need help. We need deliverance. There is something that we are facing that we cannot control, that we cannot escape from. We need something. We need someone stronger than evil to step in and rescue us and deliver us. All the other things we've looked to for help or deliverance, medicine, technology, finances, our plans, our goals, our comforts, our freedoms, we see they cannot deliver us. But here's where Easter comes in. Easter tells us that Jesus doesn't offer us help. Easter announces deliverance. Jesus did not rise from the dead to say, I'm here if you need me. Just call out to me and I'll come to your aid whenever you need some assistance. No. If Jesus rose from the dead, conquering evil and all of its consequences, if the tomb is empty, then Easter is the announcement that there is someone stronger than evil in all of its effects. There is someone strong enough to deliver us from evil. So Jesus is telling us here how we respond to temptation when evil, when it seems like it's pulling us away from God. He says, in this prayer, we grab a hold of the rope and Jesus will pull us into resurrection life. If the risen Jesus who defeated sin, Satan, and death itself is pulling on the other side, then nothing, no matter how strong it is, can pull us away from him. This prayer is how we grab a hold of that rope. And we experience the reality that he can bring us through. Any temptation we enter into, he can bring us 
out of and closer to resurrection life. So all, friends, that is happening inside of you, all that is happening around us, it doesn't have to draw us away from God. It can drive us to Him. But here's what we have to see. First, we can't control it. Second, we cannot escape from it. But thirdly, we don't have to despair because of it. We can be driven to God and we can hold on to hope because the resurrection is true. God will answer this prayer because Jesus rose from the dead. In the temptations we all face during this time, Easter announces to us a God who is stronger than anything that would draw us away from him. Easter also announces to us a God who actually experienced these temptations and who understands them. And in order for Jesus to deliver us, for it to be possible that this prayer would be answered, Jesus had to choose not to be delivered from death, from suffering, and from temptation. But only through death, suffering, and temptation could Jesus answer this prayer and deliver us. Now, we will not always handle temptation well, but Jesus did. In the wilderness, he was tempted to take control, to escape his suffering, and again in the garden. While he was in the garden and he was praying, in the prospect of facing suffering, death, bearing the curse of sin, was heavy upon him. He said, my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. What is that? That's the temptation to despair. Jesus experienced how strong the temptation is not to trust God in a world of evil and suffering. He felt the rope tugging on him stronger than we will ever feel. Not to believe, not to follow God's will, not to trust that he is loving. But as he faced suffering, evil, and sin, he never entered into it. This means two things, friends. He knows what it's like. He experienced every temptation to the nth degree. He knows what it's like. He understands and has compassion. And it means he can get you out because he never entered in. We will enter into the houses of control and escape and even despair. But Jesus can deliver us out. And Jesus will. that We have tried our hardest in the modern Western world to keep in the background, and that's death. What we're all doing now and being asked to do is to prevent death, our own and others. So death is in the forefront of our minds. It's what we're all thinking about, like never before. Death is the greatest threat, the final threat. It's the final weapon of evil is death. It's called the last enemy in the Bible. And the truth is that it's not a matter of if we die. It's it's a matter of when and how we die. According to one study, 106 people die every minute, 55 million people every year. We can't control that. We can't escape it but we need not despair because Jesus is risen. We can have great hope. For the Christian 
who grabs a hold of the rope and says, Deliver us. Deliver me, Jesus. The very worst case scenario for us is resurrection and eternal life forever. Let me come back to Paul's story. As he was sharing honestly his lowest moment in the letter Second Corinthians, he went on to say this. He says, We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength, so we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a terrible death, and he will deliver us. We have put our hope in him that he will deliver us again. My friends, if you believe in Jesus, if you hold to him, if you believe that he rose from the dead, that Easter is true, this prayer, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, will be answered for you, no matter what you're facing. God will deliver you from all evil, within and without, all harm, all pain, all suffering. As Paul, the same Paul who wrote 2 Corinthians, was looking ahead to the prospect of his own death in his last letter, 2 Timothy, one of the very last things he wrote was this, the Lord will rescue me from every evil work and will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Because Easter did happen, because Jesus did rise from the dead, it is true. We have all the reason to hold on to the same hope that Paul held on to when he was facing his worst fear. We can be certain that God will answer this prayer. I want you to come back to whatever it is that was in your mind, whatever you wrote down in your notes, the thing you most fear, the thing that you most dread in this time. And I want you to write this over it or next to it. In this prayer comes a promise because Jesus rose from the dead. Will God deliver us from whatever it is that we most fear? He says to us in Christ, I have. I am, and I will. In closing, you may be wondering about the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer. Now, the conclusion to the Lord's Prayer that many of us have memorized uh, was not a part of the original prayer that Jesus taught, but it is a part of the earliest tradition in how Christians have prayed this prayer for over 2,000 years. And it is a fitting conclusion. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Friends, this is the end. No more evil, no more disease, no more suffering, no more sin, no more pain. All things drawn to God in praise forever and ever. And in Jesus Christ, because he has risen from the dead, this is our end. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we bring to you now the things that are drawing us away from you, the things that are drawing us into anxiety and fear 
and worry and despair and being downcast. And we pray, lead us not into these things, but deliver us. Hear our prayers, O God. Help us to remember and to see that because Jesus is risen from the dead, we have reason to hope no matter what. And when we feel like, God, that we are barely able to hold on to the rope, would you grab a hold of us and pull us through? We cannot do it on our own. We need deliverance from you. So lift up our eyes and our hearts and our souls. Fill us with great hope. Help us hold on to hope, knowing that this prayer will indeed be answered for us because Jesus is risen. And we pray in the name of our risen Savior. Amen.